but there's a difference between being good and being that something which is supreme talent on top of extreme hard work you know the best thing he could have done at the end of enter the dragon was take three months to go lay on a beach somewhere and just recharge and he couldn't even do that and then uh, add on top of it extreme heat working like a dog all day and possibly some reaction to medication and i think you can see how things would go poorly a weapon to some degree can allow you to do things that other people cannot, but it can also push you into a mental space that's not always the best where other people don't go. Yes. So it's uh, it's a double-edged sword, really. You should write at that line where you can do it, where you build up positive reinforcement and you build up self-esteem by seeing objective results you're achieving, but not so high that you're asking too much of your strength at that particular point in time. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success podcast. I'm super happy to have you guys here today. And I'm actually so excited for today's episode because I get to go back in time and explore my biggest role model and idol that I've ever had and and really kind of question a lot of things about him and uh, my ideas on him with an amazing human being, which I will introduce shortly. Before I do that, I just want to say thank you guys for being here. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I want to help a lot of people to become happy and successful, whatever that means to you. So please share this one with someone that needs to hear this message. Also, thank you to Remarkable. I have been writing down my goals since I was about 15 years old, which is 20 years now. Shit, I'm getting old. And uh, always pen to paper. And and now I've tried the Remarkable, which is a way of writing digitally, but it feels like you're writing in writing on pen to paper and I can read my favorite articles without any advertising or all of those lights that you see in all these screens nowadays. So I I really enjoy it. So if you are a little bit old school, but want to do it in a modern way, check out Remarkable. Without further ado, I have a legend here today. I would say a history legend. His name is Daniele Bolelli. He's an author, professor, martial artist, researcher. And, you know, his his way of exploring how life was before, especially in the martial arts world, has been so incredible. And if you haven't listened to The Drunken Taoist or History on Fire, please check it out. It's... Uh, it's just incredible. And today we're going to really dig deep into Bruce Lee, which is the legend of all martial arts, but not only that of he's, he's a role model for, you know, the whole world, basically so many kids that were small, that looked different, that had another way of looking at life have become strong and, and, and found strength by, by, you know, reading the philosophy of Bruce Lee and watching his fights in the movies. And and now the real question is, was Bruce Lee happy? So without further ado, welcome, Daniele Bolelli. Thank you so much for having me. Much appreciated. Yeah, I've always, uh, like many of us, I've always loved Bruce Lee. I was introduced to Bruce Lee when I was a kid. I, you know, remember watching the movies and he played always a big part in, like, the very first book I wrote had a Bruce Lee image on the cover. There was, uh, I ended up in a documentary where I got to meet Bruce's daughter and all of it. So Bruce Lee has been kind of a recurring theme throughout my life in one way or another. I always found these ideas and these philosophies fascinating. And um, and there's just something about the guy, right? Because, I mean, if you look at most of the Bruce Lee movies that half of the world has seen, objectively speaking, if you look at the screenplay, they're not good movies. You know, the screenplays are pretty much crap most of the time. <laughs> it's just that he's so... Oof, there's something about him, about his screen presence, about who he was, about that energy that he possessed that just came through the screen. And so even though, objectively speaking, the screenplay is the same that has been recycled for every other martial art flick ever since, when he did it, 
it was different, you know, because there was just that that something about him that just transcended the material and uh, went through the screen. And and I think that's one of the things that people always found fascinating was his own personal charisma, his intensity, his vitality, and all of that. So that's you know huge Bruce Lee fan. And now I'm um, for History on Fire. I'm preparing a Bruce Lee episode. I actually just finished writing it last night. Yeah. So I'll have it out in April. It's coming out soon. And I really kind of dug deep uh, into his life, into his biography, his all of his story and so on. And so it's uh, all those things are extra fresh in my mind right now. Yeah, uh, that's that's exciting. And I think it's always fun because I study people. I think that's my main job, like study success. And that's why I meet people like you. I want to dig into the lives of people and try to learn something and you're right. Bruce Lee had that charisma. Like when he walked into a room or on screen, it was like everybody know, knew he was there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Impossible to ignore, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, there's a degree of intensity that normal people don't have. Is that something you're born with or something you can, you are born with that? I think it is. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like anything that's basically has some kind of natural talent, you can work on it. You can uh, you know, work on improving something you have. You can, if you don't ever take care of it, you can kind of accumulate dust on top of it. Yeah. But it's either there or it's not. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, and again, you can mod, whatever amount you have, you can increase it a little or through neglect, you can decrease it. Yeah. But yeah. the amount is, you know, I can spend... Uh, I can shoot as many basketball as Michael Jordan in my life, and I'm never going to be Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't, it's not about hard work. I can work just as hard, and I'll, ne- I'll be a good player because if you work that hard, you will be good. But there's a difference between being good and being that something, which is supreme talent on top of extreme hard work. Yeah, that's, I think that's the kind of, that's so rare when you, when these people have, you have the talent, you have the charisma, but you also do the work on an intensity that no one does. I think that's so rare. Mm -hmm. Of course. Definitely. And that's what, uh, that's what makes people, I mean, that's, I think is the trick. And also that's a tricky part regarding your original question about was Bruce Lee happy. Yeah. You need to be obsessive in order to be phenomenal in any one field. And I don't mean good, because good, you don't have to be obsessive. You can be dedicated, that's enough. But to be really at the top of the game, to be Michael Jordan, to be Bruce Lee, you need to be absolutely obsessive. You need to have talent, and on top of it, you need to want to be the one who wakes up before everyone else, go to sleep after everyone else, and is grinding, grinding, grinding. Yeah, That's a recipe to success depending on how we define success. At least performance. It's the definition. Yeah, Yeah, it leads to performance. Yeah. The problem is that those qualities that make you great in one field, are they tend to be the same qualities that make it very hard for you to sit back and enjoy life. Because you are constantly wanting to more, more, and grind, and attack, and hustle, and just do it all, and be on this... Uh, yeah, yeah, I did that. That was great. But the next thing is more important and the next and the next. And so generally speaking, you have, you know, we all operate between two poles. On one hand, you have the one who's just sitting under the tree all happy and the coconut fall into his arms. And he's like, look at that. And he's just <laughs> not exactly very motivated to get stuff done, just, but content and at peace. Yeah. At the other extreme, you have the grind, 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 hard work. Now, never mind the fact that most people don't fit in either one of these, because most people are neither as happy and content as the happy Buddha under a tree or are as successful as the one who's pushing as hard as they can. Uh, Most of them don't have either of these. So that would be a step up to at least embody one of those archetypes. Yeah. But even if you do... There's a problem, right? Because in one case, it's like you're sweet, you're happy, you seem to enjoy life. But man, maybe a little fire under your ass wouldn't hurt to get something done. And on the other hand, people a la Bruce Lee, I don't think they can ever sit back and just relax and enjoy life. 
Yeah. It's just not in the DNA. It's like there's that degree of obsessiveness force you to constantly shoot for more, yeah. which is great in terms of production, is not so great in terms of life enjoyment. Yeah. And in fact, there's one of his, uh, you know, you're talking about writing down goals. There's one that I dug up where in uh, 1969, I believe, um, he said, I, Bruce Lee, will be the first. He wrote this down before his success, right? When it's still, this is a crazy long shot and there's no way he can pull it off. And here I, I, Bruce Lee, will be the first highest paid Oriental superstar in the United States. In return, I will give the most exciting performances and render the best quality in the capacity of an actor. Starting 1970, I will achieve worldwide fame. And from then onward until the end of 1980, I will leave in my possession $10 million. I will live the way I please and achieve inner harmony and happiness. Now, clearly, in 1969, when Bruce Lee is basically nobody in terms of popularity, you know, a couple of people in Hollywood know who he is, but, you know, he's a beat player at best. Yeah. The odds, this is the talk of a crazy man. There's no way he's going to pull it off. They're just, yeah. you have to win the lottery five times in a row to pull that off, right? Yeah. And he does. He does achieve the worldwide fame. He does, and he live long enough, he would have made even much more money than he even wrote down there. Yeah. He, he pulled that off to perfection. The last part, though, the I will live the way I please and achieve inner harmony and happiness, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened had he lived. What like, did you find, like in your research, were you able to read his his diaries as well? And like, what did you find about uh, specifically talking about happiness, harmony, and his way of life? What did you find in 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 your research? Well, toward the end, it looks like his life is paradoxically not going in a good place because he's having success of a level that people can only dream of. You know, he's becoming bigger than all the celebrities that people looked at out back then. Bruce Lee was becoming bigger than all of them. Was, uh, his movies were a ridiculous blockbuster successes. Yeah. And at the same time, the more successful he was, the least he had uh, the freedom to enjoy his life. He, he was gossip media, you know, the regular stuff that everybody deals with as celebrities, gossip media, you can go anywhere because people mob you. But also just this sense that you don't know if you have any friends anymore other than the old ones because anybody who talks to you, they probably want something from you. Even nice people, you always have that feeling of like, are they talking to me for real or are they talking to me because they want something from me? Did he write about that? Yeah, and uh, big time. He talks about kind of a sense of loneliness in a way, a sense of, uh, you know, he wrote to a friend of his, uh, Taki Kimura, and he talks about, he used the word friend, and he said how rare that word is these days for me to use because it's so... And I think the other part is that there was no way to tell whether that kind of success was going to be long-term or or wasn't. Yeah. So he's trying to say, he's, he does not feel like he's in a position to say no to any opportunity that comes his way. That's really big money. It's so he's hustling, yeah. he's hustling 24-7 during the shooting of Enter the Dragon. He was never a big guy, but he was maybe 140-some pounds. He lost 20 pounds yeah. on a guy who was already ridiculously low body fat percentage. Was it drugs involved as well? No, no he was just working like him. I mean, they say maybe he was doing some ashes, nothing that would lead to weight loss. He was just, he was working like a madman, you know, he was, uh, you know, sweating all day long, working hard and just 24 seven stress and pressure and everybody needing something from him. He would go into this, uh, he would have to go dub the movie in because to avoid capturing that noise, they could have no air conditioning. So you are, essentially locking in this room in Hong Kong weather at who knows, you know, worse than a sauna kind of thing. And so you're sweating even more. Probably there was some heat stroke going on at some point. It looks like, and generally he just seemed like Linda, his wife said that there were a couple of mutually contradictory statements that he made that on one hand, he was very in this, I can do anything. The sky is the limit I can do. And he was pulling that off. 
And on the other end, there were other times when you would say to her, I don't know how long I can keep doing this. You know, I'm burning out. I'm just, it's too much. It's just too much. And, and both were true. You know, both were absolutely true. The problem is that, again, in his case, I think that's how he was. You know, even as a kid, his family said that he could never sit still, yeah. that he was constantly burning energy, constantly in these uh, very burning the candles from 10 different sides at the same time. Yeah. That's not a recipe for lasting long time. You know, that's uh, you burn bright, but you also don't last long. Yeah. And, and so that's the Bruce Lee dilemma, you know, more successful than anybody in the world, ridiculously smart. And the more successful he was, the least he felt he had the freedom to actually live a lifestyle that made sense. You know, the best thing he could have done at the end of Enter the Dragon was take three months to go lay on a beach somewhere and just recharge. And he couldn't even do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy when you look at people like Bruce Lee. And I mean, I think he's the epiphany of like, reaching your goals right and and changing the whole landscape of how a genre like it's it's just unbelievable but it's also the 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 question i'm asking because i'm trying to you know find what is real success how do you uh, can you reach that level unless you're crazy basically that's where it's Theoretically, maybe, but it's such an insanely delicate balance that the odds of being able to maintain it are not easy. Yeah. Because uh, you're going to naturally push either toward a little bit too much laziness or pushing too hard. And it's the classic story. You know, you see people all the time who are mega successful and are miserable, who are not enjoying their life because they are... All they know is this idea of if I work hard, if I do this, I will achieve all this, this, and the other, and I will get to this place. Yeah. And then they get there and they are like, all they know is to keep hustling. They don't know how to, you know, get into that place was a mirage because there is no getting there and now you get to enjoy life. No, you're, all you know is to grind some more. It never ends, right? In a way. It never ends. Yeah. And... In your research, did you did you find anything written about happiness and uh, things of that nature that he talks about? I mean, he really knew his stuff well. So he talked about, you know, the way he talks about, there's a lot of his stuff is very Taoist philosophy driven kind of stuff. And he says everything right. You know, he talks about balance. He talks about this. He talks about that. You know, he clearly understood it. I think based on life circumstances and also his personality, that was a hard thing to pull off in practice. Now, he died. He was 32 years old. So we can't ask the guy too much. You know, it's like, of course, you haven't figured out everything about life by the time you're 32 and you have this amazing, perfect balance with things that most people would never be able to handle. Yeah. So really the question is what would have happened had he lived another decade or two or three or more? And of course, nobody knows, you know, there's no way to tell. He was clearly, by the time he died, he was clearly struggling with that. He wasn't something that he had a clear answer to. He had he had it in his mind, yeah. you know, his mind understood it, but it didn't translate into practice. Yeah. But I think that's, isn't that, from my research of successful people, it's pretty normal when you're growing and if you're playing at a very high level, you it takes five, 10 years for you to find that balance. And maybe he never reached that level because he died. Totally, totally. So it's very possible that he could have. It's still a hard thing. Like most people, most forget most people, not very successful people are not going to be able to find it. Yeah. But some will. You know, it's not to say that it's impossible. It, it can be done. It's just not easy because they can. They are mutually contradictory quality. The qualities that allow you to be obsessive enough to be that successful tend to be antithetical to the qualities that allow you to sit back and smell the roses <laughs> and just enjoy life. Yeah. Uh, and as far as Bruce Lee's death, uh, there's a lot of controversy in regards to his death. In your research, uh, what have you fi- found that the cause of his death was? 
I mean, the standard explanation is that it's a bad reaction to medications. You know, he was on meds before because of his, uh, he had a back injury at one point. So he had been taking shots and he had been taking, you know, a bunch of medicine to deal with that injury. Um, and also then uh, the, the day he died, he had this massive headache. Somebody gave him a prescription, like an aspirin-based prescription med. And the theory is that these two things counteracted with each other and caused the swelling of the brain that killed him. Now, what's weird is that two months prior to his death, he had an episode that was almost identical. And I don't think there was medicine there even. So that makes me think that there was something else going on in his body, you know, that there was uh, this tendency for the brain to swell. Some people say one of the theories is that could be connected to heat stroke, which considering how hard he was working all the time and in Hong Kong weather, sweating like crazy, that may not be such a crazy theory. Could be a combination. Could be the fact that he was, I mean, what we know is his, his body was, driven to the limit he was overworked he had lost 20 pounds that he could not afford to lose he was stressed he was tired so his body was not in an optimal state and then uh, add on top of it extreme heat working like a dog all day and possibly some reaction to medication and i think you can see how things would go poorly yeah and I'm curious, like in your research, how, like, have you found any indication of what the driving force is to push yourself on a, such an extreme level? Because, I mean, we study, we both study a lot of fighters, and I mean, a lot of fighters push themselves to an extreme level. Sure, but I think this is this is another level when you're almost like most people would have, you know their body would have stopped long time ago so for, and forced the rest, right? No. Uh, and then, then we have Bruce Lee. Yeah. I think some of it really is something you have inside. It's like there's a line, um, I don't think it's the Hagakure. I think it's a commentary on the Hagakure by Yokio Mishima, where he talks about, you know, a lion chasing its prey and sometimes missing its prey because he runs past the prey. And it's because it's an excess of energy. And it's like, why is he doing it? Because it's a lion, you know, it's just there's just too much of that pent-up energy that he has stored up all day and it's just exploding in. And in some cases, see, that's kind of the feeling you got from Bruce Lee, that he was going to do something phenomenal one way or another. And by phenomenal, I don't necessarily mean good, because in the wrong scenario, he may have been like a phenomenal gangster or a phenomenal, who knows, you know, not necessarily phenomenal in the sense, of, but something great on a great scale, on a big, intense scale. Um, whether that was good or bad, of course, that would depend. But clearly he had that energy, that drive, that intensity, that, yeah. you know, why are some people more intense than others? Sometimes, you know, you see them as kid and you're like, yeah, that kid is intense. Those yeah. other 15 <laughs> in the class are not. Why? Who knows? And, and again, whether that's good or bad remains to be seen because intensity by itself, it certainly a weapon to some degree can allow you to do things that other people cannot, but it can also push you into a mental space that's not always the best where other people don't go. Yes. So it's uh, it's a double-edged sword, really. It is. And, and what I'm trying to figure out is how you can, you were talking about these two personalities, right? Yep. How can you make them live in the same body? Uh, right. Because, I mean, and how can you know when to bring out which one, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and and I think that's the recipe for high performance. Yeah. I, I don't want to call it success because working till you die, it, I don't think that's being successful, but sure. it's high performance and also, you know, relaxation and 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 and, and feeling free. Like yeah. how, do you have you found anywhere in your research how you can combine those? I mean, my guess is that the best process would be to be, you know, the same way as you write goals and you revise those on a regular basis to do that, you know, knowing that there are these two tendencies in all of us and that you need both to have an ideal life. Figure out where you're at naturally, which one do you gravitate toward more? Are you a little more on the lazy side or you're a little more on the overdriven side? 
So naturally, if that's your personality, you're probably going to have to work a little harder at the other side to balance it out. Yeah. And then check, because maybe sometime now you have worked too hard at the other side, and now you are pushing in the opposite direction. So almost on a regular basis, whether it's daily or weekly or monthly, to kind of check in and see where am I at? Yeah. Am I doing enough of the things that I want to do? Yes, no. Am I getting to enjoy life as much as I need to or want to? Am I, you know, and really, and recalibrate every so many days, weeks, months, recalibrate the focus. It's like, okay, I push too hard. Now it's time to really focus on relaxing. Yeah. Okay, I haven't done anything in a little too long. Now it's time to push a little harder and to constantly readjust in that way. Like I think is um, one thing that I did growing up in Italy, which I thought was genius as a way of, as a society to function, was the fact that everybody had a month off in summer and everybody would go off to the sea and just hang out by the beach for a month. And you just spend time on the beach, reading books, uh, swimming, doing, eating food, doing nothing really, just having a blast. And I think that's such an important mental reset for people to have. Like in the two weeks a year of vacation that people got in US is it's nuts because in two weeks you barely have time to catch your breath and you're back at the grind before you know it. And you never have that moment where you really can afford to slow down, review your priorities, see what makes you happy and, and think about it. So I think carving for oneself those kind of times, those, those times when you step away from it all and really slow down, just go back to basics, enjoy. And at that point, I think, where am I at? What do I want? I think it's so important. It's not even funny. I agree. And I think going back to Bruce Lee, he even said it when I'm fighting, my goal is not to look to see my opponent in front of me, not even from the side. I want to look from above and be right. able to react. And if we can do that on our own lives, uh -huh. uh, it's phenomenal, right? Uh, yeah. And I think that's why it's important to take times like that. Yeah. Way easier said than done. Like I, year and like I noticed, like about a year and a half ago, I was uh, I thought I would do this Bruce Lee episode sooner. I took longer, so I started the research a while back. Yeah, and I started at a time when things had never gone as good for me from a professional financial standpoint. Yeah. You know, and and I was like, this is great, but I remember my girlfriend looking at me one day and going like. You know, I'm waking up and the moment I wake up, I'm working and I'm working after everybody's asleep. And she was looking at me and was like, that does not look like success to me. And I was like, you're right. You're 100% right. That's not success. That's, uh... and again, this, by the way, is me not even grinding at a job I hate. It's actually grinding and working hard at a job I loved. Yeah. But still, yeah. you know, if the job you love is so compulsive that you have to be at it 24 seven and you have, you know, you have to eat quickly because you need to get back to it and you, Oh, I'll have to see about working out. Cause I have to, yeah. that's not success anymore. That's obsession. And that's not healthy. No matter how you may be producing wonderful things, but it's still obsessive and it's still not healthy. Yeah. How, how does that tie into ego? I'm curious in your research, do you think Bruce Lee had a big ego or course i don't think anybody who pulls off amazing things has no ego <laughs> you know i think you need to some degree and, and again not all ego is bad right yeah. some of it is tied to self-esteem is trying is tied to expecting a lot from yourself and so in that sense ego is good yeah but when ego becomes either arrogance or even if not arrogance, but you get so invested in your own mythology that you cannot think that you can be you unless you're doing something for which everybody clap every three minutes, yeah. then you're a prisoner of your own self-mythology. And you think that you have to, you know, you're not good enough as you are unless you're accomplishing something fantastic every minute. Yeah. I think that we all live, like most of us, we, we love accomplishing things. Like look at the whole li liking philosophy. Like we are looking for validation all the time. And I think there's a problem there in the sense that it's understandable. It's very understandable. We all do it. And yes, it feels good when you do something great that other people dig. 
but there's also a problem if you think that your purpose is to constantly create something that everybody goes, oh, good job, and pat you on the back. Yeah. To me, it tells me that maybe you don't like yourself that much if you cannot just be you without accomplishing anything extraordinary for a while, and otherwise you feel weird. And I think that's a lot of us, right? Yeah. Who, who are we without our accomplishments? Absolutely. No, in fact, I mean, every single thing I'm saying, I see it in myself yeah. and I don't see it as, oh, I figured out such great answers to this. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I think I'm at best trying to correct course and hopefully not go so far in one direction that I really screw it up. And so I'm constantly trying to be mindful of it and, but from from that concept to actually pulling it off on a regular basis, that's a whole different story. Yeah. You know, it's like I think I have an idea. I think once in a while I get it right for a bit, yeah. but it's very much a work in progress. Yeah, and then it comes to the moment when we realize why are we even here today talking about Bruce Lee? If he would be the regular guy with balance in his life, he would sure. have impacted so many people. Certainly. And most, like a lot of people that are high performers, they're looking for legacy, right? Yeah. And I think that's one of the problems that good, nice, sweet people rarely make history. Yeah. You know, most of the people who make history are... I'm trying to be diplomatic, like they are either complete psychos or they are people who are great, maybe even nice and sweet, but clearly not the most well suited for a normal, happy life. Yeah. You know, they so there's kind of an inherent bias in history where we are looking at the lives of a lot of people who are extraordinary, but not always in a good sense, actually very often not in a good sense. In Bruce Lee's case, I think it is in a good sense because he did so much good that it's fantastic. But clearly, I wouldn't look at him as the model of uh, great balance about how to live life. I look at him as a source of inspiration for many other reasons. Yeah. But, you know, a perfectly balanced life, probably not one of them. Yeah. And in your research about Bruce Lee now, what have you found that ha hasn't been talked about that much before? I mean, this aspect, the success, happiness aspect is one that struck me this time because I never picked up on it before. Yeah. I always, you know, I read his philosophy, which was fantastic. I read about his martial arts, which was great. Uh, his work in acting, his work on uh, the ethnic impact that he had in changing perception of ethnicity in the US. He did, you know, I, I always followed those kind of trends and I was like, oh, this is super interesting. This is great. This is this, this is that. That kind of sadness that kicks in toward the end when he achieved all the success he wanted and it's taking him further away from happiness than before, that hit me because I found it very relevant or very pertinent to this case. And I was like, wow, that's different from... Uh, I never picked up on it before. So that was definitely an aspect that made me go... Now, one interesting one, this is on a much less deep level, more as a curiosity and stuff. There's a crazy story that um, Bruce Lee was, um, he taught martial arts to Roman Polanski, and he also had briefly taught Sharon Tate, his uh, Polanski's wife, yeah. the actress. Sharon Tate was uh, along with Jay Sebring, who's the guy who basically help discover Bruce Lee because he's the one who passed this name to the first producer who, asked, uh, who hired Bruce Lee for the Green Hornet. Yeah. Sharon Tate, Sebring and a couple of friends were murdered by the Manson family and uh, you know one of the biggest murders of you know, 1969 it was this big deal the whole Manson family thing and there's a story that um, one of the assassins supposedly had left behind a pair of glasses and, uh, you know, weeks later, Polanski's with Bruce Lee and Bruce Lee's mentioning now, oh, I can't find my glasses anymore. And Polanski freaked out because he was like, oh, my God, Bruce Lee actually is the kind of guy who, because they hadn't found out who did it, right? Yeah. At the time. <laughs> so he was like, Bruce Lee is the one guy who has the skills to kill a whole <laughs> bunch of people on his own. He's missing his glass. So Polanski went into a whole paranoid thing <laughs> and he's like, 
let me buy you a new set to give me your prescription. And then he went to check and it's like, it was a completely different prescription <laughs> to do with it. But for a moment, Polanski actually suspected Bruce Lee of being the murderer in the, <laughs> in the Manson family story. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That's a crazy one. Yeah. That's a crazy story. And as far as reading uh, journals from Bruce Lee, do, do you do you have any more information? Did he journal every day? What he did, What did he write about? And like... What was what was he thinking about most most of the time in his journals? You know, a lot of his stuff was um, philosophy, martial arts, all aspect of martial arts, uh, all aspect of kind of health, nutrition, exercise, that kind of thing. Yeah. And also, he had a strong um, sort of self-helpy kind of vibe to some of his stuff on like figuring out how to. Um, proper mindset to be driven to do this to do that so those were some of the big things in his life you know all the martial arts health wellness tied together uh, kind of motivational self-help aspect and very heavy into philosophy and philosophy was primarily Taoism, zen uh, some krishnamurti uh, that kind of stuff Is there anything that struck you that you remember? Anything he wrote that that you want to share with us? His approach to um, the way in which he broke with established martial arts styles was genius, you know, because it was something that few people articulated that well at that time. Few people articulate that well today, let alone back then where he's essentially saying, and you know, you can see it as applied to martial arts, but really his point can be applied to philosophy, can be applied to politics, can be applied to religion and anything else. Yeah. He's saying any one school of thought, by definition, is not going to have all the answers. Yeah, Everything has strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And so the way decades, uh, you know, at least a couple of decades after Bruce Lee, uh, MMA proved that every martial arts style had some better advantages than disadvantages, but basically there was no perfect style that had it all. You had to take the best from different aspects and combine it together. Mm. He had been arguing this way, way before that. And again, he applied it to martial arts, but the same idea could be applied to anything. It's like people who are arguing about uh, politics. You know, if you find yourself that you think that every single good answer comes from one school of thought politically, you're probably delusional because that's not the way life works. Is there are, you know, maybe one is way better than another, but you're gonna find something that these other guys do well and they are good at, and you would do well to learn. And that's what Lee always advocated: is like, don't. If you attach a label to yourself, if you belong to any one school, whether it's a school of thought or whether it's a martial arts style, you're doing a disservice to yourself as a human being because you're essentially shutting yourself to the possibilities of learning from other points of views. So rather than you having to be the guy who defend the orthodoxy of that one set of ideas, you should be the guy who just is a human being and who takes whatever is useful and whatever is good, wherever you can find it. doesn't matter where you find it. doesn't matter if uh, those guys have 30 bad ideas and one good one. Well, use the good one. If you found it, that's good. You don't need to buy into the other 30 crap ideas they have. Just use that one good one and mix it with those other five good ones that you find somewhere else and mix it with... And it's such a... Per- I mean, it seems simple, except nobody does it. You know, in almost... Any field you look at, people are not that. They are invested into building an identity as I'm the representative of the liberals or the conservative or the Christians or the Muslims or the this or the that. Or no, judo is great. Karate sucks. No, it's the other way around. Karate is amazing. You guys, It's like Bruce Lee is saying, just stop. It's not about that. It's about building a way of life that works for you, building a martial arts style that works for you, building a philosophy that works for you, building, and you do it as an individual by taking the best from multiple sources. And so his methodology, his famous four steps, you know, about research your own experience, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own is exactly that. It's how good science should work, right? You look at the evidence, You see what works, you take it, you leave behind the stuff that doesn't work, 
and then you adapt it to your own individual personality. You add your own individual tweak to it. It's so theoretically simple, but again, so rare and so amazing to look at that kind of JKD philosophy of, uh, you know, having no limitation, having you don't stack to a single way of doing things so that all ways of doing things are open to you. That is just, I wish people applied it to everything from politics to religion, to their personal life, to parenting style, to just everything. It's a... Uh, uh, I find it so liberating. I just believe, and again, he's not the first guy to ever say stuff like that, but he articulated it so well in such a public way that it's brilliant. Yeah, his philosophy is incredible, and 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 I wonder, maybe you know, where where do you think he found that inspiration and 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 those ideas? Because I know he studied philosophy. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if his mind somehow connected the dots together with martial arts, together with being in a new country, feeling different. I don't know. I mean, philosophically, most of his ideas are Taoism and Zen Buddhism, which are closely related to one another. Yeah. Krishnamurti adds this element of being sort of rejecting authority and creating your own path type of thing. And so a lot of his quotes are often paraphrases of Taoist sayings or these things. But but the genius there is that he took things that were ancient and adapted it perfectly to the world of the 1960s and 1970s. Most people today, if you pick up the Tao Te Ching, I mean, you may be able to read a few lines here and there that make sense to you, but a lot of it is hard to... What is he trying to say? What's going on here? It's like, it's not that self. It speaks a language that's still a little. He adapted that to a modern context in a beautiful way. And I think a lot of what he used in that regard was the writings of Alan Watts, um, who was kind of, that's what he did, essentially. He took Taoist and Zen Buddhist ideas and modernized them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Leap borrowed from Alan Watts and ran with it and then adapted it to the martial arts and uh, yeah, phenomenal job at it. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, uh, as far as, you know, Bruce Lee and that goal that he wrote down that you read earlier, uh, what do you think, like, have you found any indication of his confidence in his writing and what have you learned that you want to share with our audience, like working on their self-esteem and and confidence? I think confidence is one of the... I mean, in Bruce Lee's case, you get the feeling that he had a lot of it from early on. But the reality is that nobody... Nobody who's not delusional is born with perfect justified self-confidence. Because the reality is that, you know, you're a kid, you, whatever, you know, you, you may be smart and whatever, but you haven't done much. And then, yeah. so eventually I think is like, when it comes to self-confidence is you need to give yourself, start with really small goals yeah. that are doable, but they still, they require work, right? So they don't get done if you don't do anything, but they are achievable yeah. and you work at it and you achieve it. And then you stop back, stop and go like, I did this. I made it happen. Yeah, I wasn't, you know, I didn't cure cancer or solve all of the world problems, but I did this one thing, pat on the back. That was good work. Okay, so if I can do this thing, I know the process. Put in the work and if necessary, revise along the way to get the job done. Okay, now I'm going to give myself a goal that's a little slightly more ambitious. Not too much, because otherwise it's like lifting weights, right? If uh, I decide I want to be strong, so I'm going to put 600 pounds on the bench press. It's like, no, you die. That's not going to help you. You're not ready to lift 600 pounds. You lift just what you can handle and sometime a little lower if you feel that you're not quite there or maybe you push yourself and you find that you could handle a little more than you expected. But you work on that range where it's just mildly challenging. Right, kind of like stretching. You wanna, you don't wanna stretch where you don't feel anything because you're not stretching, and you don't wanna stretching when you reap tendons because that's not stretching anymore. Yeah. You wanna stretch where it's like, oh, it can, I feel it, but it's not real serious pain because that's a sign that something is about to snap. You stretch just to the point where it's like, okay, I challenge and I need to breathe through it to relax through it. Okay, now I gain an extra half inch and and work that way. 
So that requires some self-awareness of what your limitations are and how much you can push. Yeah. If you shoot too high, you're going to feel crappy about yourself and never want to try again. If you shoot too low, you don't grow. You shoot right at that line where you can do it, where it builds up positive reinforcement and you build up self-esteem by seeing objective results you're achieving, but not so high that you're asking too much of your strength at that particular point in time. I like that, but it feels like every person that becomes a legend that Bruce Lee, that they're not doing that, that they're like shooting for the moon and the stars and they back it up somehow. Uh, like, what's your opinion on that? Like, what do you think? Because they have the, that confidence, right? I mean, they do, but they do it through stages. You know, you want to be the greatest basketball player ever. You still need to make the high school varsity team. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, then you find out, uh, yeah, Jordan didn't make the team and that he has to go back and work even harder to get to. So there are steps along the way. You know, you are Bruce Lee. You have to play Kate on the Green Hornet and you're playing essentially the chauffeur to the lead star. But you do it so well that people go, damn, he was asked. So there are steps along the way. You don't show up and just go, I'm going to be the next James Dean. Give me the greatest movie ever. And I'm going to act on it. He's like, what have you done? Nothing. He's like, go away. It's funny when you, when you say that, I started thinking about a quote of Bruce Lee. Let me see if I remember it. And he said something like, there are no limits. There are only plateaus and you must not stay there. You must go beyond them. Uh, So and again, that's a delicate balance, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you, it goes back to that thing of being able to enjoy what you have, yeah. rather than constantly looking at the next corner, versus being too stagnant. And yes, what Bruce Lee is saying, and just staying at that plateau and never growing. Yeah, there's a line in between those two, right? Where you are yeah. moving, but not with this anxiety of you have to constantly grow, 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 because. You can never be happy with what you got. But it's crazy though, because when you look at life and like, I I wonder is, is happiness really a part of life? I mean, it are, it is in our world, right? But huh. because we are so high on the Maslow's level of like hierarchy, right? But essentially life is a, is a, is a fight. Sure. And ultimately, there is no win because everybody dies. Everybody dies. <laughs> right? So it's like, so in that sense, you better find something fun along the way because it's not a fight that anybody wins. Yeah. It's a fight that you can win for a while. Good for you. But does it really matter how long you win it for? You know, it's. Yeah. I just get so sad sometimes when I look at, you know, and, and having this conversation, I was so nervous uh, for this conversation today because. Bruce Lee changed my life and he changed so many oh, yeah. people's lives. So you don't want to hear that he was unhappy or that yeah. he had to, you know, struggle and work harder than no than anyone else. And that he basically became f- really famous after he died. Like mm-hmm. those are hard things to look at. Right. And I, I know when we look at our own family, right. Everybody listening right now, they probably have like a, a brother, a sister, a father, a mother that they thought had all the shit together and then they find out, oh, they're human too, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the that's the aspect that's useful to remember is uh, let's, you know, sometimes when we idolize people, we, we assume that their struggle or they never experience the struggle we experience. Yeah. We all deal with the same crap. You know, some people are better at it than others, but nobody's immune and nobody's, I mean, in that sense, that's a very Bruce Lee thing, you know, of not putting people on a pedestal yeah. and not assuming that somebody has it all figured it out in a way that you would never be capable of. We all deal with stuff. I think it's uh, it's extremely important for anybody with something good to say to be as transparent as humanly possible about that, to tell people, look, man, I don't have it all figured out. I screw it up as much as I get it right. But hey, I got it right X number of times. Pat on the back, but at the same time, let's be real. It doesn't mean I'm perfect in any way, shape, or form. Like There's a great line by Morihei Ueshiba, the creator of Aikido, who says, uh, 
people complimented him for his great balance. And he said, no, I lose my balance all the time. It's just that I regain it so fast that you never see that I lost it. And I think that's perfect. It's like this idea that you're always going to get it right. No, there's no way. Nobody does. But hopefully you find your way back to a decent place quickly enough that it doesn't lead you to massive screw-ups or doing damage to people around you. You know, Maybe you do it in a way where you catch yourself, you see where you're going, and so you course correct and you rebalance immediately. I think that's as good as human beings can hope for, you know? And that's why I would strongly, like one other thing I've been focusing a lot lately, because I was listening to this massive podcast on the topic was um, the story of Jim Jones and the cult, um, you know, the People's Temple in Guyana and all of that, which in so many ways, the exact opposite of the Bruce Lee thing, because inevitably that means, you know, heavy authority, people giving up their power in order to follow somebody else, who pretend to be a... I think is important. You know, authority figures, at best, they are guides. At best, they figure something out and you try to use their experience in the measure that it helps you. That's it. it. Nobody, you know, once you find yourself putting somebody too much on a pedestal, not a good idea, you know, uh, because we all deal with. We're all human. We all, yeah. And I think on the subject of happiness, I mean happiness i don't think it's a constant state of mind right it's something that comes and goes and in order to feel happiness you you also have to be able to have other feelings because other otherwise you don't even know it right sure sure i think it's just uh, if you manage to be happy x percentage of the time that's pretty high great that's yeah. success if you everybody is happy at some point and nobody's happy all the time yeah. The key is how often, you know, <laughs> it's like if you can hit it uh, 75% of the time, you're doing a great job, you know. Do you think it's okay to be, you know, I wouldn't say unhappy, but as you grow like Bruce Lee did, and as we see people that grow tremendous businesses sure. and have, like, is it okay to to keep that state of extreme intensity uh, and like, is that is that something that you you would recommend? And like, how do you know when to like? Not that you know everything, but how do you know when to to back out of that? And like, can you? That's kind of what I was saying about uh, keeping a closed tab on a if not daily, weekly, or monthly basis of where you're at, how hard you're pushing, how much you need maybe to put the let the foot off the pedal for a little bit, yeah. and. And do it because otherwise you can start going down a certain path and not course correct for years, and by then you have gone so far off balance. It's not even funny. It's so, so hard. To kind of really yeah. Think about it all the time and just go like, okay, I've gone a little too much this way. Now let's tweak it the other route, and uh, and continue doing that. It's like surfing in that sense, right? It's like if you keep going in leaning in one direction, you're gonna fall. Yeah. If you lean in the other direction, you're going to fall. It's always about leaning one way, leaning the other way, a little bit center. Now a little bit. It's a constant process of adaptation, which ultimately is also what Bruce Lee argues, right? Yeah. It's like that's the way life works. That's sort of the essence of Taoism. And not because Taoism is as a philosophy. It's like he's just recognizing the way life, the way life plays out. No, I agree. And I think, I think what the lack is also usually when you're growing on that level, it's you're often pretty young. I look at Avicii. I don't know if you uh, studied Avicii, but he he also died very young. Uh, and people around around him, all the yes-sayers, they were making money out of him, so they didn't want him to rest. Of course. Uh, and that's kind of the hard, hard part. Like, it's the young, the young people that are successful need more role, role models. And I hope they're listening to this right now and, and, and can take a step back and realize that there will be more opportunities and no opportunity is worth it if you die, right? Yeah, right. And I think that's also becomes a drug, not only because other people expect it from you, but because you start, uh, you become so dependent on the validation of people going, wow, that was amazing. So you want to do it again. And then you want to do it again. And you want to do it. 
and and that becomes its own drug and it's so it, it doesn't even have to be somebody's out to exploit you and is constantly pushing you to go harder because they hate you it can be people who love you who give you the validation and so you want more and you keep and it becomes a drug essentially yeah uh, daniele if bruce lee could join this conversation today and sit here with us uh, what what are the questions that you would like to ask him um I think, you know, in regard to that goal that he wrote, you know, pat on the back for pulling off the first half in a way that objectively was one chance in three zillion to pull that off. And he did. So major pat on the back for that. How exactly do you get to part B? Because, you know, the making money, become a superstar, uh, clearly, I mean, we know, we know because he did it. So we know how he got there. But how do you see getting to a level of harmony and happiness and all of that? It's like, especially with the lifestyle that requires getting the part A. Yeah. You know, the part A was grind, grind, grind. How are you going to find that second half? I think in a lot of cases, we tend to assume that success will bring those things. And obviously, success does not bring those things. It's, those are two separate skills. And so is figuring out you know, getting into the nitty gritty of how exactly, how is, what is that going to look like? What does, uh, you know, what is that he said? Let me look at the quote again. He's talking about uh, achieve, uh, you know, I will live the way I please and achieve inner harmony and happiness. What does that look like? What does a day of inner harmony and happiness and living the way you please? I, I understand the feeling behind it. What does it look like? What do you do from the morning, the time you wake up to when you go to bed for a week? What, what's that life like? Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, one thing that I've thought about, and I just thought about it right now, like we as martial artists, we, we say a lot of times, yeah, I will fight to the death, you know, and I, uh, I will leave here either as a winner or a dead, dead man. And I know Bruce Lee said that too. And a lot of fighters are saying that I know, I have said it before competitions, but did I really mean it? That that's right. the that's the question. And like, have you in your research have you found any like information on that? And and like because I feel that something in in the eye of death, like, will you really do it? Yeah, there are people who are. Like, take as uh, I don't I don't know if you're familiar with Anson in a way the kind of pioneer of MMA early on. That's what he did. Every time he fought, and I mean, this is an MMA fight. It's not, you know, gladiatorial stuff. You're 99% going to work out alive, but he <laughs> would write farewell letters to all of his loved ones before a fight. And then when he came back alive, he would burn them. And uh, <laughs> But he was, and the way he fought, he didn't fight to win. He fought to test that mindset because he clearly... You know, he would fight a phenomenal striker. He wouldn't even try to shoot on them and take them to the floor. He would stand in the middle and strike with them. Yeah. He would grapple with the best grapplers. He would strategically, what horrible strategy if your goal is to win. But his goal was not to win. His goal was to test his limitation, his, you know, do a gut check, which is somewhat insane, but at the same time admirable. You know, yeah. there's something there that's like, well, that's for real, you know. <laughs> uh, there is an element of easy word it, you know, what are we doing? Um, yeah. You know, I'm actually noticing lately, um, it's weird, I don't have an explanation, it's so recent, but, you know, I've been following combat sports forever. I started watching UFC when it first came out in 93. And for the first time in the last few weeks, months, I'm watching fights and I'm like, why am I watching it again? Yeah. And there's something in me that's like, doesn't enjoy it anymore the way I did. And I'm like, why? What's going on? And so there's almost something in me that whereas before I thought I saw more the validation in the kind of developing this warrior spirit and so on. Now, maybe there's a part of me that's going like, man, life is tough enough and fragile enough. Do we really need to go to that place all the time? Yeah. Do we... 
And I don't have the answer because, you know, I've spent so long going the other route that I don't think that this feeling I'm having right now is necessarily real or more authentic or smarter than the previous one. But I am having that moment where I go, hmm, is that really worth it here? I think it's the evolution of life. And I uh, I felt that I, I was never competing in any sport like MMA, but I was competing on a high level in karate. And I I remember towards the end, I was like, I don't want to punch this guy in the face anymore. Yeah. I like this guy actually. And that kind of changed. And then I realized, okay, maybe it's not time for me to compete anymore, you know, and and, yeah. and teach and, and do other things. And so I, I, I understand what you're feeling. Like last month, uh, when was that? Yeah, not even a month ago. It was like two or three weeks ago. My girlfriend won a fight in uh, one championship. Yeah. And, you know, she became in Cambodia. They started adoring her and they are all so proud and this and that. And it's cool to see, you know, I'm happy for her. But there's a part of me that goes like, why do they love you? Because you punch some poor Korean lady in the face. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but I also don't. <laughs> you know, there's an element there that is like, because uh, then exactly what you describe is like she likes this lady was a sweet nice lady it's like so there's an element where it's like competition is fun but the price to pay sometimes evan tanner the, was ufc champion at one point used to say that he loved the kind of heroism that mma created but at the same time he was really bummed at the fact that the, for to him to have the heroic moment it meant that he would have to smash somebody else yeah and he was like so that's a tricky one. It is. Uh, Daniele, any final word, words on, on Bruce Lee and uh, his, uh, like his happiness? I think in summary, like, was he happy? Like, how could we summarize that? I think he was doing what he wanted. Um, he wasn't building a lasting happiness. And certainly there were plenty of moments where there was not happiness. Well, that's the feeling that I get. That on one end, you know, he would have been miserable had he done anything else in the sense that he had that in him and he needed to push through and make it happen. But at the same time, um, clearly there was a heavy price to pay that he would have had to he would have had to shift and find a different balance in his future for sure. Yeah, I I would like to end with this quote from Bruce Lee that I that I really like, and uh, he said, "If I should die tomorrow, I will have no regrets." I did what I wanted to do, and you can't expect more from life. I used that, in fact, in the episode because it was kind of the counterbalance to the more rougher side of his success story. Yeah. And, and that's just as true. You know what I mean? He did what he wanted to do, and he was a phenomenal life. He was brief, but he was phenomenal. Yeah. He achieved you know, so much in so little time and such a positive impact on the lives of so many people. Yeah. Really, we are nitpicking if we yeah. start going, yeah, that life is not ideal yeah. because, you know, it's like, yeah, sure he wasn't, but he was fantastic. But I think that's actually beautiful because we're taking down the myth of Bruce Lee and, and, and talking about him as a human, you know, someone that's next to you and are, are helping you, pushing you to become better. And I think that's, I, I got that realization right now because I think, isn't that what you want? Like a brother or a father, yeah. someone that's yeah. on your side? You don't need a legend in order to, to be stronger. You need no, that's, that's why, in the corner. Yeah, that's why looking at all this stuff for me did not diminish my respect or admiration for Bruce Lee one tiny bit. Yeah. You know, to me, it just makes it more real, more yeah. like this is, this is reality. This is not like some Hollywood image of Bruce Lee. This is who the guy was. Yeah. And for the most part, fantastic. Of course, he had a struggle. Of course, he didn't all figure it out. Who did? You know, how many people can we think of as like, yeah, that's the perfect life. It's like, it's all a, a testing of like trying to find a balance. But, you know, absolutely no. In fact, none of these reduce my level of admiration, not even a tiny bit. Awesome. So any if people want to find you, Daniele, uh, where can they find you and where can they listen to, to your shows? So, um, History on Fire, there are a bunch of old episodes are on all podcast platforms, and then the newer ones are just uh, behind the paywall on Luminary. It's pretty cheap, but, you know, it's like, I don't know, I forgot what it is, like four bucks a month or something. Oh, wow. but, it's, That's uh, 
that's uh, you put in a lot of work people should know like how much work you put in I'm, yeah, it should be $40, I think, at least. Yeah, it's a full-time job. It's, uh, you know, under 50 to 100 hours before behind each episode kind of thing. Uh, the Bruce Lee one, however, that one, you know, one thing that Luminary, we set up as a contract thing is that twice a year I do release episodes for free that go on all podcasting platforms for free. Yeah. And the Bruce Lee one is going to be one of those. So that's coming out in April. I'm going to do, I'm expecting it's a long thing. It's probably like three, four hours, something like that to go through his life. Okay. And that's going to be so one giant episode that come out on all platforms in April. Wow. Can't wait. And yeah, Google Daniele Bolelli. If you don't know him, I've had so many great comments from friends, audience, uh, people watching my show that, you know, uh, you were on the show, I think it's a year ago now, a little bit more and told you stories. You guys can go back if you want to learn more about uh, an incredible human being. Thank you for sharing your research with, with Bruce Lee. We really appreciate that. Um, Thank you all for being here with us. And if you want to help us spread this message, please share this episode with somebody that needs to hear this message right now. It could be anyone. It's not only martial artists. Bruce Lee, he, he had a way of touching people from all walks of life. Uh, so we are super appreciative of this episode. And uh, yeah, uh, if you need us, check us out at ilovesuccess.co. There's more than 230 episodes right now. Uh, I, I think this was actually one of the best ones and a conversation that I've just been waiting to have basically all my life and talk about Bruce Lee. So uh, this meant a lot to me. Uh, thank you so much, Daniele. Thank you, everybody. And talk to you next week.